Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 545 of the Juicebox Podcast. My guest today is Arissa. She was diagnosed at age 19 while away at university, where she also developed what she calls a very specific type of eating disorder. Today, she's going to tell you her story, which includes all the details. And that's why this is an After Dark episode. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you believe that you have an eating disorder, please tell your physician, a loved one, friend, or go right to Google and just search for diabetes eating disorder. You'll see a ton of different places where you can get help. There are many other After Dark episodes within the Juicebox podcast. At the end of this episode, I will list them for you and tell you where you can find them. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. It is also sponsored today by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise, which I'll tell you more about later in the show. To get started with Omnipod or to find out if you're eligible for the free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, head over to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. My name is Arissa. I'm 31, and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 19. 19. Mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Yes. Oh. My diabetic anniversary is coming up on June 26th, and it happened to be the same day that Michael Jackson died. And I remember talking to friends and family and saying, oh, you know, I was I was diagnosed with diabetes. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, pipe down. Michael Jackson just died. We'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Really? This is the, uh, the I think they're pop. saying it lightheartedly, but yeah, that's kind of how it came across. <laughs> well, you were a little older too, right? So it's not like you were it's not like you were eight and somebody was telling you, look, we'll deal with your thing tomorrow, okay? Right, but right. B- Billy Jean is dead. So yeah. <laughs> Right, is I guess. It- and and truly, Scott, I mean, that's part of what makes it challenging is you're you're very right that I was diagnosed at 19, where I'm not necessarily a kid anymore. However, if I had been diagnosed say three months prior when I was still 18, I would have gotten much more support than what I experienced. And it's strictly because I was deemed as an adult by the government, uh, if that makes sense. And so were you not on your parents' insurance at that point? So being Canadian uh, had nothing to do with insurance, truly. Uh, I have fairly decent healthcare, which I'm very thankful to have and and to to live where I live. It was more so, I guess, the, the support that I received. I very much felt when I left my diabetes education center, there very well could have been a therapist lined up for me. There very well could have been a specialized dietitian to cook with me, or maybe even an endocrinologist that didn't make me feel like I was just a number. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're a child and you're diagnosed, your family probably gets more involved. You're much more close, closely examined. And I felt that I kind of got the short end of the stick. Don't get me wrong. There's no good time to be diagnosed with diabetes. But to be 19, where you just missed that cusp, 
it, it took me a longer time to take care of myself. And, and I, through therapy and through work that I've done internally to see, Hey, you know, I just, I wasn't set up for success as most people would have been yeah. if they were diagnosed prior to 18. So a couple of questions. Um, mm -hmm. Was it just that, did your family treat you that way? Like, Oh, she's an adult. She can handle it. Uh, kind of. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an only child Scott too. So I feel like my family always puts me on this pedestal of, you know, Hey, Arissa has it. She's good. And I think they didn't really seem to understand and nothing against them. They're very supportive and I love my family, hmm. but they knew something was wrong with my body, but I wish they knew that there was something wrong in my mind as well from the diagnosis and from the support I wasn't getting medically. Prior to type one, did you feel like that in your mind or you, it came directly from the diabetes? No, it came directly from the diabetes prior to my diagnosis. I mean, I was very fit and sporty and Prior to being diagnosed, I, I took very good care of my body and it was pretty healthy. Yeah. And when all of a sudden you start losing weight, you're thinking, oh, hey, maybe the gym's working. Hey, maybe, you know, those those extra boot camp classes that I'm participating in are paying dividends now. Yeah. And you don't realize that, hey, there's something much, much deeper going on here that that needs to be taken care of. I wonder how much of it is like expectations. You know, people talk mm -hmm. about what age would be better to be diagnosed at. And I've even kind of mused that, you know, Arden was so young. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a recollection of not having diabetes, which I imagine is helpful to her or at least to us talking to her. I wonder how at what age is it just like, wow, life's been going on for a while now. Like you were mm -hmm. 19. So you're probably thinking what you're going to start your beaver trapping business soon on your own and really get out there and start doing things. <laughs> Yeah, my own igloo building business. Well, but yeah, no, you're yeah. you're you're very right. You're very right. When you're when you're at that age, I mean, I can remember a time where I didn't have to worry about pricking my finger or I didn't have to worry about, hey, how many carbs are in this meal? Right. right? Whereas Arden or anyone else, I think the younger you are truly, uh, the almost better you are because you don't realize that there's life outside of that. So you're old enough to be able to you're old enough to go to a concert when you're 25 and remember going to a concert when you were 18 mm -hmm. and you have mm -hmm. this juxtaposition of mm -hmm. what one was like and what was the other and what the other is like, but you're mm -hmm. not alive long enough to really gain that kind of life experience perspective that would have helped you through any of this. Mm -hmm. And I think too, you're right. The life ex experience would maybe have set me up differently where say at 31 now, and I mean, who knows, right? I, yeah. I know this is 12 years later at 31. Now, if I was diagnosed now, I think that perhaps I would be more mature about my decisions in terms of how I took care of myself. Mm -hmm. But when you're that young and you're surrounded by, you're not even living at home, right? I was 19. I was away at university. Uh, you're surrounded by your friends and you're surrounded by, you know, the pressures of being in school you're not necessarily around a supportive environment already. You're already in an environment where you feel judged or maybe you feel like you can't be your full self or you feel uncomfortable um, because everyone's looking at you through a magnifying glass, yeah. if that makes sense. No, even and your peers are, are in the same situation age-wise and, and mm -hmm. perspective-wise. So it's probably just like, oh, isn't that sad? She has that thing and they'll sit around with you for a little bit in your bed and like, you mm -hmm. know, and then they leave and that's not real support. It's just... <laughs> It's a 19 year old hanging out with you for a while because they feel bad about what happened to you. And, right. Right. Not like not, not not a person who and, and supports an interesting thing, isn't it? That it's it's sort of this quiet understanding that someone's there. It's not so mm -hmm. much saying something or, or doing something. It's that it's that idea that there's so, that there's a rock solid 
person at your disposal should you need them. Like, I feel like that's more what support is. Because when you really think about life, like, nobody really runs around doing things for other people. You know what I mean? Like, it's more just like, you know, there's somebody there that's, you know, it's more than got your back. They they actually could come through if something mm-hmm. happened. It's uh Right. And and I think if I'm reflecting accurately at the time too, Scott, I don't even I think I liked that no one really understood it. Because at the time in university where I wasn't necessarily taking care of myself the way that I should have, I didn't want people to know what I was doing in terms of how I wasn't taking care of myself. So oh. for example, if I went out to eat, I maybe wouldn't inject or wouldn't check my blood sugar. I would just eat because I didn't get the support that I needed when I left that diabetes education center and it it turned into truly an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. However, if people around me had known, that would have made me obviously fix the problem a little bit sooner, would make me feel more self-conscious. I I probably would have been more active in trying to make myself get healthy. But at the time, I liked that people around me didn't know other than, hey, she has type 1 diabetes. They didn't really know what that meant. So path of you had a path of least resistance because no one could hold you to, to account because nobody knew what to, nobody knew how to hold you to account. That's right. excellent. And uh, excellent. It's, it's interesting. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, did you want to do better and didn't have tools or were you truly trying to ignore it? I, I think it went back and forth, Scott. I think every night I would kind of think to myself, Hey, you know what, this, this can't go on any longer. I, you want to be healthy. Why aren't you, why aren't you able to do this? But I think in the moment, I, I, again, would just do things that were very self-harming where, I mean, I, my hospital folder is larger than I care to admit where I would have doctors come in and, and make me feel judged in a way too, Scott. And I think that's something really important where instead, if a doctor came in and I felt included or I felt that they heard me. Um, I could have maybe had this feeling to turn turn things around sooner. Mm-hmm. But again, being 19, away at university, no support, probably uncomfortable with your body a little bit at that time too, where I, f- I feel most diabetics might feel this where, hey, okay, you've you've lost all this this weight. I probably lost about 20 pounds. And by no means was I was I overweight or anything. I was quite skinny. But you remember how thin you felt and you have people tell you, Hey, you look great. Like what's going on. They don't realize that, you know, underneath you are very not healthy, although it comes across like you've been, you know, working out or or eating better. So I think when you get those compliments too, it messes with your own head a little bit to say, Oh, well, Hey, remember everyone complimented you at that time saying how great you looked, Right. but that was when you were the most sick you've ever been. Yeah. It's, 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 I can see the double-edged sword where it's not like you had meth teeth. It's, it's not, yeah. and, and they were, and they were going, "Oh my God, your teeth are amazing!" Like it was, you know, like that doesn't happen, right? Because that's yeah. not something that people physically find appealing generally. Mm-hmm. But you start getting a little more sculpted, or you know, your jaw's a little more angular, or whatever it ends up being, or people can just tell you look a little differently. That brings in compliments, even though, even though the compliment they don't realize is, oh, you're wasting away and dying. You look amazing. Right. So right. in the beginning of dying, we all apparently look great for a little bit. Like, right. I, you know, like, I don't know, like, that's an odd thing to think, but it is, it is. And then I see how it causes that problem for you because it's, right. it's this mixed message and you are the only one that knows the truth while they're all saying it. Exactly. And I mean, I, through therapy and, and things now in my thirties, of course, I talk to my friends or my family or my partner about it now too, but 
I can't imagine, Scott, looking back, I can't understand how I was able to go that long of not taking care of myself, of injecting, sure, but a minimal amount and not checking my blood sugar and thinking to myself, hey, well, you know, you're going to be able to throw up later anything that you would have eaten that was high in, high in carbs. So don't worry about it. Not realizing that, hey, when you throw up, that's actually your body's way of telling you you're, you're going to diabetic ketoacidosis. Wow. So that was, and that ended up being the process for you. You'd, so what would you do? Were you, you were injecting. So you would, would you do like a long acting insulin? Yeah, exactly. So I would use, I would use my long acting. Uh, I was on Levamir at the time and I wouldn't necessarily inject into a rapid my fast acting and I would eat whatever possible. Um, it's sick to me to think now, Hey, I used to keep a, a pop bottle of Sprite by my bed to make myself go higher, but also keep in mind too, when you're, when you're that high, you, you pee all the time and you're thirsty all the time and you get more thirsty. So I think it really created this kind of vicious cycle where you crave sugar because you're high as high as high as can be where you're not even reading, you know, the number anymore on your glucometer, mm-hmm. but you would continuously crave that more. So I think now what I've realized being healthy for the past couple of years that, Hey, if you're healthy, you crave being healthy. And if you're unhealthy, you crave being unhealthier. And it's very hard to get out of that cycle. I was wondering if I could ask you to kind of step out of this for a second and give me your opinion about talking about it. Because when I first started the podcast, people would come at me kind of privately and say, you can't talk to people about how you manage type one diabetes. That's not something that anyone mm-hmm. should do. Don't tell people that your that your daughter's doing well. It makes other people feel badly. And I, I had a very strong feeling that you could be um, a beacon instead. Like you could just say, look, look what's possible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like here's a, here's a thing that's possible and mm-hmm. that people can't truly understand the scope of things until they can see the entirety of it, the good, the bad, you know, the dark, the light, and then they have to be able to make a decision. Are you going to reach everybody and bring everybody to a place where their A1Cs and the mid fives and they're paying attention to their blood sugars? Like, no, are Mm -hmm. some people going to see a great graph and think, and and that make them feel poorly? Like maybe, I don't know, but it just always seemed to me and the way I put it usually on the podcast is that you can't take a, a classroom with 20 people in it and teach to the to the the least of the of the group because you're mm-hmm. you're robbing the rest of them from an opportunity to learn. But right. with this, like you just said something a minute ago, no one's ever said on the show before, and we're going to get deeper into it. You said mm-hmm. you kept Sprite by your bed to make your blood sugar higher on purpose. So, mm-hmm. what do you think about explaining how this eating disorder works? Do you do you worry that it'll it it'll be a how to for people? Uh, not necessarily. And I would caution that, Hey, if people consider it as a how to, I'm also going to explain part two of the how to, which is it can get better. Okay. And you're very much right, Scott, that sometimes I felt people would not necessarily brag about their A1C, but would kind of say, Hey, you know, I'm it's 5.4 and you know, it's never been that low. And it's in my own head, I'd be like, that's great, but I'm pretty sure mine is 14 at this time. Now, thankfully, you know, it's in a much more normal range of, of seven. And I, ser- I swear, Scott, when that first happened, when I got those results, I could have cried. Yeah, I, I just never thought to myself that I'd be able to see that. But now, thankfully, too, I have those tools of a Dexcom and an Omnipod to set me up for that success. I didn't have either of those when I was first diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And you're very right where, you know, I could get some flack for this. And 
And I, I understand why people would be upset or kind of look at it in a bit of a controversial way. But if anything, this needs to be more talked about. This was, this was an eating disorder and truly a bit of a, a mental mind game that I had put myself through because I didn't have that support. When you're 19, you're considered an adult. Where if I'd been diagnosed, as we talked about a couple months prior, I would have been taken to that children's hospital here in Toronto and had numerous resources thrown at me. But because I didn't, this is what could happen. So in terms of my goal, I, I want to be involved in some of these committees and boards that change those rules or those decisions. So that way I can help those young adults post 18 to not experience what I did. Yeah. No, I think, listen, it, be clear from my perspective. I think what you're doing is really great and it's brave thank you. and I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind it, which is why you're here. Thank um, you. It, no, thank you. Uh, it's just that when you, you know, it's funny, you were in the exact wrong position for a number of reasons that we've already gone over mm -hmm. and you got dropped into diabetes, almost like dropped into a race at a point where the race was already going um, mm -hmm. and you were not prepared to run it and you were destined to lose the race when you were put into it. Right. Right. And, and there are other people who have been put in that same situation who are in that dire place right now. And some of them are listening. And mm -hmm. I, it just, for me, I think that it's, it's gotta be better to face what this is so that at least you can make an informed decision. Like if, if a person mm -hmm. is in right now listening in that situation and they're still listening to me, that means they want to know, they want to know how to get out of their situation. If, the, if there's a possible path away from it, right. if it, yeah. if it just takes them, makes them angry and they run off to be mad about it somewhere or to complain about it or something like that, that to me just means that they're in the wrong part of their race to hear the information. Not that the information's bad. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, definitely. No, you're very right. And I think it's, it's amazing how your body can get used to things. The body is a, is incredible where previously, if my blood sugar rised, uh, I, I would just, again, as we talked about crave more sugar, where if my blood sugar is high now, even in the slightest, I'm down for the count, mm. but it's because I take care of myself. So whatever the body gets used to, if I'm consistently 21, 22 with my, with my like glucometer, which in Canada is obviously a little bit different than, than the U S. So I apologize, but it, it still means high. Uh, it would, it wouldn't affect me now. If I reach any levels that are out of, you know, a consistent range, I feel so sick and feel so lethargic and the same way I did when I was first diagnosed, yeah. but I don't know how I had a normal life and ran high all the time and still would go to work and see my friends and it, I'm assuming there are other people. I can't be the only one. I, I know I can't be the only one, but I also don't want those people to ever feel, feel like they're alone. I really struggled, and I know you likely are too, but talk to someone about it. Right. Okay. Whether it be a parent, a friend, a counselor, it's not your fault. You were not set up for success, but it, it's not your fault. So we're going to um, figure that out in a second. But very quickly, <laughs> juiceboxpodcast.com, there's an A1C and blood glucose calculator if you're listening outside of the U.S. and the numbers don't make sense to you. Um, look at me. Look at, me, look at me. Look how I'm able to do a good thing and drive traffic to my website. At the same time. <laughs> I, feel, I feel really good about that. Also, by the way, I don't know if it's a conversation technique that you've picked up over the years, but after I speak, you tell me I'm right. And I have to tell you, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and my brain goes, um, she didn't say you were right this time. I wonder if she doesn't agree with you. I'm just kidding. No. I'm, not, I'm not digging that. <laughs> I, uh, seriously, is that a conversation technique or is that, do you actually 
mean it when you're saying it. I know. We're no, I, I do agree. I do agree okay. with you, Scott. And and sorry, I realized I just did it again there. No, no, I no. Think- don't be. First of all, don't be sorry. I feel a foot and a half taller since you and I have been talking. <laughs> I'm about to charge down to the rest of my family when this is over and be like, I'm right. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. No, there's an affirmation thing in there that conversationally is great. It makes me want to keep talking. And um, I don't, I've just been paying um, a lot of attention to uh, people who hold great conversations lately. And and that was, um, that was just, that was really, I was like, are, is she doing that on purpose? She learned that in the college in Canada. Is, are they teaching that up North or something? Um, so, okay. You, you just said it's not your fault and that you weren't mm-hmm. given the right tools, but why it's obviously something psychological, but I want, I want to understand from you if mm-hmm. you, if you took me outside right now and said, mm-hmm. Scott, cut down this tree, um, you have to. It's very important that you do it. You've been tasked with it. You can't walk away from this task. The tree has to be cut down. Here's a screwdriver and a blender. Mm. I think I can't cut this tree down with a screwdriver and a blender, but I would never internalize that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't stand there and think, I'm such a... I'm such a mess. I can't get this tree cut down. The guy told me it was really important. Lives are at stake. Like, why does that happen with medical stuff? Why does somebody ask you to cut down a tree with a screwdriver and a blender and somehow that turns into, I messed this up? Right. And it, and it, it can turn into, you're very on point where it can be, it's heavy on your self-worth and it's heavy on how you see yourself. However, I think that because... So if we're using this analogy, because you're telling me to cut down this tree, I also had people coming to me and saying, hey, that tree is beautiful. Hey, that tree seems really fit. That tree seems really healthy. Why would you cut that down? Because that's essentially what everyone was telling me when I was skinny, okay. right? So internally, yes, I knew I was doing something wrong. I, I knew exactly what I was doing. But other people, because they don't understand what's going on, were still complimenting me. And we're still sharing, hey, you know, you look great. You don't you know, have that, to do that. all that cycling you've been doing is really paying off. Yeah. And so it was very conflicting. Yes. Where I, I, I value myself to be a good person. I value myself with always trying to do the right thing. And with this, I know that I didn't. So it was a very hard struggle for me. And again, through therapy to be able to, to talk about it and realize that, but also see, as you were saying earlier, you know, it's not necessarily my fault. I was dropped into that race halfway through without, without, you know, or running shoes, if you want to phrase it that way. Is there an aspect of this that it's because it's health related that it strikes? Um, it's like, you know, you're kind of psyche at the same time. Like what oh. do you see what I'm saying? Like, why, why is it, why is it that you, and I'm not asking, you understand what I'm saying? Like not you, mm-hmm. but anybody, mm-hmm. why is it that somebody wouldn't just go, whoa, stop. You asked me to cut down the tree. You told me it was really important. You didn't give me any of the tools for it. This isn't my fault. Mm-hmm. Like, why do, why do people end up feeling internally bad is because there's another piece. It, it's gotta be that they know subconsciously or even consciously that they're, that they're limiting their health or shortening their life. Like right. it, there, there's that third wheel, like third spoke in this wheel that that's the reason why it internalizes, but just in general, outside of this issue, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to see how quickly people turn on themselves mm-hmm. um do you know what i mean like 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 look at all the things you were doing that were bad for you that i'm assuming you consciously knew weren't right mm-hmm. okay but yet you couldn't stop yourself 
Yeah. And I, again, I would pray at night just saying, Hey, tomorrow eat healthy and take all your insulin where any other diabetic would never have to consider to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think you're angry as well. That's probably a big part of it. You're frustrated. You have this invisible disease that people again, keep saying, Oh, you look great where they don't understand how internally shameful and how internally this, this environment of solitude comes up as well, where no one really understands what you're going through. And I, and I get it with diabetics overall, we all probably feel that at some point that, Hey, no one understands what I'm going through, but specifically because I was hurting myself through the process. I really didn't have anyone who understood what, what I was going through. I do value the community now where I can talk to people about this. I can share this and maybe necessarily they haven't gone through the exact same experience, but maybe they felt that day where sometime in their journey, they were like, yeah, you know what? I had, I had one day too, where I didn't even bother injecting because I just felt so down on myself and I felt so frustrated. And you know, too, Scott, from, you know, managing Arden, there are some days you can do everything right. You do everything right. And still it all goes wrong. Um, but I, I think on my instance specifically too, guys or girls, however, however anyone identifies by their gender, they have different experiences too. So I've had guys who are gym goers say, oh, you're so lucky you get to take insulin. It bulks you up. I've heard. Whereas girls would never want to be bulked up. You know, we're scrutinized for our bodies. So there's those different elements to it too, of, Hey, as a woman who's 19, who is feeling you know, you're, you're going on dates and you're, you know, going to bars for the first time because in legal drinking age in Canada here is 19 has to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you feel you're in a different space where you are consistently being evaluated. I was also on a varsity sports team at the time too, where again, the, the thinner you are, the more in shape you are, the more congratulated you are, the more you get to participate in races because you're, you're that caliber of, of athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, so just lots of things that were, were not positive. Did you say a minute ago that you felt ashamed of the diabetes or of your care of it? Right now in this moment, I can picture myself in the doctor's office with my daughter as she was getting her first Dexcom CGM. I remember what we did on the way home and what we talked about and where we stopped for lunch. I remember the whole day. What I remember most is a feeling of relief because I had just spent so many years not knowing what Arden's blood sugar was doing. And I was just overwhelmed with the idea that now I would know, right? I would know what her blood sugar was and if it was moving or trying to go up or down, you know, and how fast was it doing that? It just all seemed surreal. In that moment, I didn't understand what was going to happen next how seeing Arden's blood sugar in real time would inform my understanding of how to feed her and give her insulin. Well, now, today, you know, I'm a completely different person, due in large part to the data that comes back from Arden's Dexcom G6. And I also think that it would be worth your time to find out more about it. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, you can do some reading, find out about any number of aspects of the Dexcom, I'll name a couple. You can share your data with up to 10 followers. You can see your data on your iPhone or an Android. That's for the user and for the followers. 
I mean, there's alarms that you can set to tell you when you're leaving different ranges, how fast you're moving, these alarms can tell you. There's so many things. It's just, it's astonishing. It's amazing. It's, uh, it is well worth your time just to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box and see if anything I'm saying to you resonates. It really may change your life. I'm going to stick with this theme and tell you about the first day that I saw an Omnipod. We were at my daughter's children's hospital at a pod, at a pump fair. I call it a pod now, but at a pump fair. And there it was, the Omnipod, the only tubeless insulin pump in the room. So while I'm holding it and telling my wife, look how great this is. It's self-contained. I bet you if they make improvements to it, they'll just happen. Like we won't even have to like go back and get the next version. Um, I didn't know what I was talking about back then, but I just kept thinking that the Omnipod looked thoughtful. It looked futuristic. It felt like it was on the cutting edge. So we went with it. And that was 13 years ago. Arden has been wearing an Omnipod every day since then. It's been an absolute friend in her life with type 1 diabetes. And I think it may be for you as well. At least it could be. And that's worth you finding out. Omnipod right now is offering the Omnipod Promise. Simply put, if you're the kind of person who's waiting around for the next thing, the next thing that's coming, you don't want to start now. I don't want to get a dash because, you know, what about the next thing? I, I want to get the next thing. Well, there's no need to wait for the next big thing because with the Omnipod Promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. Terms and conditions apply, but you can find out more at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And while you're there, why don't you find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash? That's right. You could get started with the Omnipod today, free for the first 30 days. And then if something new comes up, they promise you can switch. Links for Omnipod, Dexcom, and all the sponsors can be found at juiceboxpodcast.com or right there in the show notes of your podcast player. Did you say a minute ago that you felt ashamed of the diabetes or of your care of it? Both. Oh, both. Uh, I definitely felt that I was ashamed to even go low in public as well. That was a, that was a big part of it where... If I was with my friends and all of a sudden got so sweaty and would be reaching for, I don't know, a, a pack of juice, that it was really, yeah, it was very embarrassing. And it was also scary. So I think part of it also, too, could be I just wanted the exact opposite of whatever was low. I wanted to feel the exact opposite of that. And if I'm high all the time, I'm, I know that I'm never going to have to feel that way. So out of control that people can see worse than out of control people can't see. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about passing comments a second ago, and this one um, interests me uh, a lot. So if somebody came by and said, oh, you're so lucky, I heard insulin bulk show up, right? Mm -hmm. That sticks to you then? that Does that put you in like a, do you, do you fall down a rabbit hole in your mind on that? Uh, I, I wouldn't even say a rabbit hole per se, but I I would acknowledge that what they were saying was accurate because we've all had that, right? Where uh, we are diagnosed, we've lost weight. And as soon as we start taking care of ourselves again and getting on, getting on care with insulin, you do gain back the weight that you lost. Mm -hmm. Right. 
so I think I saw it and recognized it. And again, I'm not saying that I lost a hundred pounds or we're talking 20 pounds, perhaps, Scott, this is not monumental, but when you're going through this instance, it felt monumental. Yeah. And many diabetics, I'm, I'm sure feel, Hey, I'm, I'm not in control. I haven't, I'm being thrust into this situation where I don't want to be. I don't feel any control over my own body or even probably my own mind where for me, the way that I coped with it was being in control of being constantly high all the time because it gave me that semblance of, Hey, like I I'm in power of this, but there's no, there's no function inside of you that hears the comment about insulin and just wipes it away and just goes, Oh no, I don't want that. And, and you never think about it again. Like, so that's the, I realized that, listen, I realize that things have been said to me that I brush off that I probably mm-hmm. hold on to subconsciously. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. That's I'm not like some like iron willed like, you know what I mean? But, right. I, but I wouldn't spend the rest of the day changing my life over it in a conscious mm-hmm. way. Um, and I'm interested when something can be said to somebody that changes their course instead mm-hmm. of them just going no, and then pushing on. Um, I think there can be comments too, though, Scott, on the other end of it, where I had people tell me, Hey, every time that you don't take care of yourself and the longer you don't take care of yourself, that's 15 years off of your life expectancy. So it's funny how you mentioned that, that, you know, those comments can really stick to you, but certain comments can also be, eh, okay, well, whatever, I'll deal with it when I'm, when I'm 60. I had, That's somebody, kind of what my mind I had somebody yesterday tell me the prospect of losing my leg to an mm-hmm. amputation felt comical, like it couldn't happen. Right. But when someone told me I might lose my toe, it felt real to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I couldn't, I mean, I understand what they're saying and I, I don't doubt that it could be true. I just was like, wait, what? And then I guess it's the same thing as saying to somebody when they're 15, like, if you eat well, you'll be healthy throughout your life. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're like, you can't imagine what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, you, could feel, Im- you feel unstoppable, yeah. right? It's a future ERISA problem. It's not a current ERISA problem. Right. But if, so- yeah, but if somebody told you, like, eat a Dorito today and three days from now you're going to spontaneously combust, you'd be like, oh, well, then I won't eat it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Okay. All right. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say, because you were you're bringing stuff up while you're talking, is that I spoke to someone the other day, a parent of a newly diagnosed, very young child under two years old, oh. and we were just talking about amounts of insulin that the baby would need. Mm-hmm. And I said, looking at your graph, listening to your story, I feel like there's room in here for a little more basal. Um, and and the right away it went to is that too much? Mm-hmm. There's something about, I keep harping on it because there's something about the measurement of numbers that messes with people. Mm-hmm. Aren't I using too much insulin? Isn't that bad? Aren't I mm-hmm. using some, it, it, you know, isn't this hap, isn't this number to this or not enough that like people really key in on measurements and movement on a scale. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if, like if, because if this person's kid was diagnosed at four and not 15 months, then they would have started out with basal that was greater to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then if I would have said to them, oh, I think you need to use four and a half units of basal today, they'd be like, oh, that's okay. Cause it's an incremental jump. But telling somebody they have to go from two and a half to four seems huge. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to figure it out, but there's something about how people think 
it's the movement of a measurement and it, it has something to do with where you start and where you finish. It's it's not the numbers, how far the number moves and, yeah. and it sticks people. I, I don't know what that means, but I've heard it enough times now. I believe in it. I think my my partner says it in a, in a right way where we have to be so conscious, even more so than someone who is anorexic. I understand that I had a form of bulimia mm-hmm. going through what I did in university. However, it's it's worse. We what other disease do you have to consider what you eat, the number of carbs, the number the grams of fiber so closely. And again, it's all those numbers and it's that analysis of anything you're putting into your body. Yeah. The irony is of we everyone should be doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't it? It's oh, it's made me it's made me healthier. Yeah. I'm very thankful that I'm diabetic. I, I, I like adversity. I like to be the underdog. I use that, you know, kind of resilience as, as fuel. Mm-hmm. And I think if I wasn't diabetic, I wouldn't be who I am today. hundred percent. So what did you do? What steps did you take to get the universe to pick you up and put you in the proper place in the race? Uh, I think I had to go through my own, my own rock bottom. If you want to phrase it that way, I was in the hospital and I, I had been in the hospital numerous times, as we talked about earlier. I, at one point was tied to the bed restrained because I was in a diabetic coma and had fought to be even tied down to the bed. I don't remember any of this. And I remember waking up with a tube down my throat and my grandma kissing my forehead. That wasn't even the lowest point, Scott. I was in the hospital for about two months total. And that's where I said, hey, I'm going to make a change. After that, got out and uh, ordered a Dexcon. After that, you know, made sure I got an Omnipod. I, I think hitting that rock, rock bottom was really where it was a, a wake-up call, where I didn't want to feel that way ever again. I'd make, been making myself feel good somewhat in the way of, hey, okay, I look good outside. But hitting that point, it was, I don't want to ever do this ever again. That that um, two-month stint, how long, ago, how long ago was that? That was 2017. Oh, that's not that long ago. No. Um, 2017... Oh, so almost, almost four years, four years. Oh, yeah. wow. So how many years did you live like that? I would say, so I was diagnosed in 19, uh, 2017, I would have been 27. So about eight years Wow. from about 2009 to 2017. And so your management style was management style was I would inject long acting and I would eat whatever I wanted. I would then start throwing up and this wouldn't be every day. It would maybe be once a week I would start throwing up. And because I didn't want to go to the hospital again, once I started throwing up, that's when I would inject short acting insulin. And, and it would continue DK- that cycle every that, week. That vomiting was DKA or you for- yes, not you forcing yourself to vomit? No, okay. I, I never forced myself. I don't think I have the, I wouldn't have the gusto too or the chutzpah too, but um, I, it was strictly from DKA. And I, I know that because there were some times where it was just so far gone that I would have to go to the hospital mm-hmm. and they would tell me obviously what was going on, which I already knew. I met a little girl in Oklahoma that um, that was her management style was DKA hospital, DKA hospital, just mm. over and over again um, for not understanding how to mat. They didn't, they just, the family just didn't understand the use of the insulin. Right. Um, I remember how, feeling so heartbroken when she told me that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the colloquialism you used before chutzpah? Uh, gusto. What is that? Don't know that one. Like like chutzpah. Is that a is that like a weird Canadian 
It, it must be. It must be. Okay. I'm sorry to do this in the middle of just <laughs> a, 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 an important conversation, but do you know how to spell that by any chance? G-U-S-T-O. Right. I can use it in a sentence again if you like. Oh, yeah, I want you to. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I had the gusto to right my wrongs and start take care, taking care of my body in a way that I knew was correct for myself at the time, for my future self, for even my loved ones as well. An individual or specific taste. How to use gusto in a sense. I don't know. This might be a thing that happened in your house that like when I met my wife, um, I learned that her father, do you know the saying, uh, Six of one, half a dozen of the other. It must be an American thing. I'm unfamiliar with that. And he would say it completely wrong. And I would watch everybody. And I'm like, none of them realize this is wrong. (laughs) So I said, he's been saying it like this for so long. They believe that this is the saying. And it is not. Um, But anyway, that's not my point. Gusta. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I. absolutely shouldn't have gone down this road but we need a break anyway your story is pretty deep it's uh um so you're in that hospital for two Mm -hmm. two months you make the decision i'm going to do something dying Mm -hmm. to know is there a person in your life at that point that you're interested in romantically uh yes i was actually uh married at the time how long were you married i was married from 2017 to 2020 uh, and he was very supportive throughout, throughout the process. Uh, but through the breakup, certain things were said that obviously stung me very much in relation to this. Hmm. Uh, so very thankful I had him at the time. Do I feel that now I have a partner that maybe doesn't necess- is not diabetic, but understands more so of what I go through because we are maybe more communicative about it. A hundred percent. I'm very thankful for where I'm at now romantically. Cool. Listen, I don't, I don't need to know about your personal life. I brought it up because, um, I find that one of the triggers for adults to pull themselves together is Mm -hmm. having another person in their life that they care about. Mm -hmm. There's, there's this, I, I've seen this, this thread over and over again, where for some reason you can't work up the energy or the whatever to care about yourself. Hmm. But to be there for someone else or to see that someone else cares about you can kick it into gear. I could see that in a way. Right. I, I did always feel his support. Truly, if we're, if we're going down that road, I, I think I was even preparing myself to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And I knew to be an, an oven or a solid oven, so to speak, right? I didn't want to house a child in me that would be unhealthy. I, I felt that was unjust. And I mean, event, obviously I'm not a mother. We, we ended up breaking up and not having kids, but I think at the time that you're very right, that could have played into it where, Hey, I want to make sure that I'm the best I can be for anyone that I would house within my body. Yeah. And I felt that the, I felt that obviously the way I was going was not the way to do that. I just, I've heard people tell stories too many times that mimic that idea, but they don't mm-hmm. tell it like that. They don't know that's what they did. It's through mm-hmm. the conversation that you hear it. Um, they finally meet somebody, they want to be a mom, they're doing mm-hmm. it for someone else all of a sudden. It's a, a fascinating psychological thing that we can't do things for ourselves, but we can do them for other people, mm-hmm. even when they're yeah. about us. And by the way, sadly, Brick Oven Mama is not going to be the title of your episode, but <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> it's okay. Yours it's is okay. going to end up being an after dark. 
just because of the sensitive <laughs> yeah. nature of it. But oh <laughs> my god, if only. If only the story led to it being Brick Oven Mama. Um, that's all. And I don't know why. I just, that's what I like. All right. So 2017, you're, you whack, you're like, all right, what's the first step to fixing it? Getting a Dexcom, truly. I had been on a pump very close after being diagnosed. I was probably 21 at the time. And I hated it because I would rip it out of my sleep. I'm, a, I guess, a more violent sleeper than I care to be, where if something's on my body, I want it off. And being on a pump when I was 21, I, the idea to me was just, oh my God, I don't want anything there. I don't want to have a pump ever again. So the Dexcom to me was a still way to take care of myself without necessarily having a pump. So I had the Dexcom at the start of 2018. And uh, about a year later, I started inquiring about the Omnipod saying to myself, hey, okay, the Dexcom's good. This is great, but I still want something on my body to help me, you know, inject quickly. And, and probably in a way too, Scott, as we kind of talked about earlier in terms of a bit more, uh, a bit more discreetly as well. I didn't like that. Yes. I was on Dexcom. I would see, Hey, okay, I got to go inject. Well, if I'm at a restaurant, maybe I'll go to the bathroom to do that. I just kind of wanted to be myself wherever I was. I wonder sometimes if people listening if, to the ads and if you listen to the ads, thank you very much. It's how the podcast keeps going. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, in the in the Omnipod ad, sometimes I'll say, you know, one of the best things about it is you can wear it out in the open and be proud about it and let everybody mm -hmm. see or you can or you can put it somewhere discreet. And mm -hmm. that's up to the person because some people are going to come through your path and want it to be discreet. And some people are are going to have been dropped in the race at a at a better place who doesn't care if you see their decks, their CGM or their, or their pump. And, right. um, but that, that you have that choice is a, is a big deal because everybody's different. You know, mm -hmm. um, I always just imagine people think I'm saying stuff to say it. Like everything sounds trite when you bang it down into less than two minutes. You know what I mean? It's hard to be thoughtful in two minutes, but that is really what I mean by that, that it's, you mm -hmm. know, that everybody listening has a different desire. Right. Um, exactly. And everyone's everyone's way should be respected as long as, again, they're doing what's best for them and trying to take care of themselves. And again, no one is ever going to be perfect. The days that we try to be perfect are some of the most haywire days in terms of our sugars. Yeah. But as long as we're trying and, and we we're we're each respectful of each other's spaces, but there's no judgment in terms of, hey, why don't you be proud to show off your Omnipod? Or, hey, why don't you wear your Dexcom on your arm rather than your stomach? Show it off. Right. If I'm not comfy too, that's okay. And if you're comfy too, I applaud you that you're that way. I don't understand judging people at all, I guess, mm -hmm. um, in any. I just think it's a, not that some people aren't judgy. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that. But, but exactly what you just said is just, hey, you're doing a thing with a thing that I have. But the way you do it is opposite of how I do it. You know what you should do? You should mm -hmm. do the thing that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Like that's really what it is when people are saying stuff like that. They just they think, mm -hmm. oh, there's a happy way to do this. You're doing it the other way. It's it's right. they never put themselves in your shoes and think, oh, maybe this is your happy way. Right. I, I know that's a lot of the same word over and over again, but there's really there's really that idea that people cannot take themselves out of their own experience and put them in someone else's in and in, in less in a moment in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a pass by like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, you use insulin. That's amazing. Because mm -hmm. you can bulk up when, by the way, also you really should know whenever boys are talking, they're just doing their best 
it's their best try to have sex with you. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) And I realize most of them are just so ham fisted and not good at it. But literally boys are just like that girl pretty. Yeah. (laughs) I say thing. She talk me. We go dinner. (laughs) Like it's not we're really dumb. So um, it's uh, it's interesting. So so but you have to so you get the Dexcom, which is the Mm -hmm. tool that helps you make the decisions. But Mm -hmm. you had to immediately start injecting for meals and counting carbs yeah. were you able to just start doing that i i would i've been trained to count carbs i mean when i was first diagnosed because i didn't take care of myself didn't mean i didn't know how to right that mm-hmm. time was something i i very much did on my own accord but i still know how, i still knew how to so when i did start injecting i i was able to take better care of myself because yeah i can count count carbs and ensure that i'm eating the right things and making sure that i have fibers you know uh you know, uh, the low, um, low glycemic index foods of, Hey, okay, well, I'm not going to have, you know, basmati rice. I'm going to have brown rice instead. Uh, so those decisions were easy to navigate, thankfully, Scott, but it was challenging in the way of always making sure I had needles on me, always making sure that I had my insulin on me, always making sure I had a backup. Uh, so that was obviously challenging, but yes, I could still manage to take care of myself because, because I had those skill sets from before. You just had to use them. You had to just mm-hmm. make yourself do it. By the way, interesting side note, basmati rice, really easy on Arden. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When you said that, I was like, oh, I can't believe that's the juxtaposition she had there. But that goes right back to my last, to what I was just saying a second ago. Because imagine you go online, you say, oh, somebody says, uh, I ate white rice and uh, I got really high. Does anybody have uh, blah, blah, blah to help me out? And you jump in and go, oh, yeah, brown rice. Definitely don't eat basmati rice. <laughs> Right, and then right. I would be, and then what if I was like, that's wrong. Basmati, yeah. like it's, it's not wrong. It's what works for you. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, and everyone, everyone has that different experience of, Hey, you know, when I'm low, I really like to have gushers because there's 18 carbs in them. And I feel like it's just the right amount to get me back up to speed. Whereas other people may depend on juice or other people may depend on, I don't know, sugar pills. Right. But mm-hmm. we're all we're all just trying to do our best with whatever tools that work best for us. Yeah. No, that's that's my point. It's just stop stop thinking everybody did something wrong. I I have I'm such an um I have such a good example from the from the internet, but I can't I don't want to use it because I don't want to make anybody feel badly. But watching adults not be able to interact is fascinating. I've just I'm, like you can see what they're doing wrong. Like you're like don't say that. No, you said it. No, okay, don't don't react that. Oh, they did it again. Uh, yeah, 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 you're just like, "Ugh, like, are they doing it on purpose? Like are they trying like is it one of those things where like let me just get another dig in or do they really not understand like it it's would be such a gift to step back and watch your own life from a third party perspective. Yeah, right. but yeah. anyway. So, okay, so you're giving yourself your insulin, you're making better food choices. Does it ever, do you ever fall off the wagon? I haven't actually. And I I think there are ways where you can still enjoy a few things where you're, I think when you're open and communicative about it, Scott. So for example, on my diabetic anniversary each year, you know, June 26th, maybe I, you know, yeah, have a, have a pack of Smarties or something of that nature, but I do it with my partner to say, Hey, like, this is an important day. Let's do something to celebrate. And, uh, but I'll still inject. That's the difference. I'll eat that. But I know now that, Hey, I can eat whatever the heck I want, as long as I take care of myself for it and, you know, use my Omnipod. So falling off the wagon, no, of saying, Hey, I'm going to not inject and eat whatever I want for a week. No, I, I don't do that anymore. 
But do I try and enjoy little things in a controlled manner? Of course. And it's it's because I'm able to talk and share with my partner about it. Cool. Does that, are you, maybe you're not, but are you shell-shocked at all? Like, is there any part of you that feels like if I, like like to liken this to alcoholism for a second, that mm-hmm. one beer would turn into a case? Like, do you have that feeling of like, if I ate something and I got the bolus wrong and my blood sugar went up, I'd just be like, ah, whatever. Like, would you, do you have that concern or are you just being a, a thoughtful adult about your eating? Right. And I, I, I want to touch on it in the way of, I think, I think I mentioned this earlier in the way of when you're really high, it continues to feel good when you're really high until it doesn't right until you start throwing up. But when you're taking care of your sugar and you have a, a spike in an afternoon or a day, I feel like crap. There is no way that I would ever be able to do what I used to do now because I've had that cycle of continuously taking care of myself. So thankfully it's not like alcohol or it's not like drugs or anything along those lines where you're looking forward to that feeling again. I I know that I very well could, you know, not inject for a bunch of, a bunch of candy that I eat. However, I know that I'm going to feel so sick afterwards. And to me, that's not worth it. Yeah. You know, the other night, um, the other day, actually on the weekend, Arden said, can you take me to the grocery store? I'm going to make cookies and I need some ingredients. Mm -hmm. So we got her all these ingredients. And later that night, she must've spent like an hour and a half in the kitchen making like these snickerdoodle cookies that had this icing Mm -hmm. on top. They were kind of cream cheesy. It was really nice. Mm -hmm. There's something sprinkled over the top. And then she uh, walked out and said, does anybody want a cookie? And gave you everybody a cookie. And then she didn't eat one. And she's Mm -hmm. never had one. Mm -hmm. And I asked her at one point, I said, the cookies are good. Did you try them? She goes, no, they're too sweet for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to eat five of them just so you know. (laughs) But but no, but like it's, it was interesting that she just, she doesn't like too much sweet stuff and she knows it. And so she just doesn't do it. And I don't even, I, it's, I don't even know why that is. Like, how does somebody make a good decision like that? You know, um, because certainly one cookie after all that work, right? But no, mm-hmm. she just didn't and doesn't. And that's not a that's not an uncommon story for her. Like that just yeah. so well, you're making good, me feel good on, like, good on her to be that way. That's uh, that's I really respect that. Yeah. So uh, you no, should be proud. I, I just uh, it, it's funny because I never thought about it before until I was talking to you. Like that this is a an accomplishment of mm-hmm. some some sort. I don't know what mm-hmm. exactly. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give myself most of the credit for it right yes. now. Yeah. You I mean, that. my wife probably a little, but me mostly. <laughs> and Arden, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just happening to her. She's not making decisions. Not <laughs> I'm teasing. I just think it's a, I think it's, I didn't think of that as, as some sort of a life level up, but I guess it mm-hmm. is really. It is. Um, well, what else should people know? Uh, the last thing I would probably want to share too is as, as we've talked about, I was writing my university career while I was going through this and obviously my mental state, physical health and and GPA truly all suffered because of it. And I know that university can be really challenging and that diabetes itself can be really challenging, but I've created a a scholarship actually, uh, this year, hoping to provide some solace to a student who is diabetic themselves and entering their first year of university. And I want to be able to help people now. And I have the means to be able to help people now as a, you know, fully working functioning adult. And I find, I find it to be cathartic to be involved with that funding it myself to say, Hey, I went through this. I don't want you to feel this. If you're experiencing some of the challenges that I did, here's a scholarship to help pay for your education. Wow. How many scholarships are you funding? 
Uh, so it's just the one yeah. actually, and it's funded through myself. It's it's not a whole lot, but it's called the um, the Torchbearer Scholarship, uh, Torchbearer Scholarship for Type Ones, and I just really want to make sure that I try to do right by the situation, as I mentioned, that I felt was unjust and. This is a good way for me to give back and feel better maybe about the situation. I, I by no means am ever going to be able to go back and erase those years that I didn't take care of myself, but this could be a way to make myself feel that I've come to terms with it. It's lovely. Is there any chance that's happening in a Canadian province with a really funny name? <laughs> no, unfortunately. Damn, no, never mind. I was hoping it would be Manitoba or something like no, that. No, no, okay. I live in, I live in Toronto, Ontario. So I'm one of the more regulated names and you didn't even say it t-r-o and like I. Yeah, some... it's 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 without the second t it's mostly toronto yeah so you don't really say the second t no i know you don't but i had somebody <laughs> on recently that was like i live in Toronto, and i'm like wait a minute what now <laughs> i was like t-r-n-t-o Toronto. <laughs> meanwhile you know, I can't say water, but what the hell? You know what I mean? It's fine. <laughs> uh, still, when, she, when when I think she, when she said it, I was like, that's by that's going to be a good episode. I can't wait for that. There are times where I think, I wish the show was just a daily like show because I have these conversations and I'm like, I can't wait for people to hear these. And then oh. I they don't go up all the time. So you have to wait. And like, right. I'm thinking right now, like, oh, this is a great story. Like this should go up right away. But the truth is, it's not going to. I'm like, I'm so recorded ahead. Uh, but I'm enjoying talking to you a lot. I want to, I just very much want to make sure that we're not missing anything here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no, so you saw, uh, let me make, let me see if I can pick through my understanding. Sure. So you, you had some sort of a major health crisis that made you say, I am not living like this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. first step I think is to be able to see my blood sugar. So mm-hmm. you got, you got a CGM. Then mm-hmm. you had to make the the conscious decision to give yourself insulin, which it doesn't sound like you had trouble doing. It, it, it wasn't like some sort of an existential fight to do. You you gave yourself insulin. You brought your A1C down. How long until you felt better? I would say maybe the Omnipod was really the big changer. So, I mean, even a few weeks after having the Omnipod, I felt so much better, so much better, Scott. And okay. to be able to... To be able to not have that roller coaster of the up and downs, I think that's that's one of the most untalked about challenges. Yes, we talk about it certain instances, but it's the it's the consistent roller coaster. And I'm sure some people talk about it, but it's just not it's not known maybe as the most challenging thing. People maybe go to uh, the different you know lows or highs, but they don't talk about the in between period of that going up and down where. You know, if you're, if you're high, you over inject and then you ultimately go low. And then when you're low, obviously you try and eat something else to bring you higher and then you go high again. And it's just that constant vicious cycle. I think of it as Um, chasing. You're always chasing the diabetes. Like, yeah, Yeah. they, and how did you, and how did you know how to do it? Like, did you limit carbs so that you could be successful with the insulin or how did you know how to be successful and keep away the, the, the ups and downs? I would say not necessarily limit carbs. I do have a pretty low carb diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't too challenging. Uh, I think if, if we're kind of being candid through this and, and going back in the schedule or the, or the timeline, once I had the Dexcom, I was eating healthier. So when the Omnipod came along, it was just, Hey, how do I manage eating healthy already, but without having to necessarily inject. Got it. So it was, it was pretty easy to, to do and obviously much more handy and, and a, and a great tool. 
Um, but I think, yeah, after a couple of weeks on the Omnipod of, you know, and it, it is challenging a little bit in the beginning because you're trying to get your basils right and, you know, trying to make sure that your, your, I don't know, my carb ratio, I think changed as well. Um, but once I got it right, it was, oh, wow. Okay. I feel awesome. And what, like looking down on my Dexcom, I'm, I'm what 6.2. Yeah. That's amazing. And again, I apologize for the, for the discrepancy Juice in American Box, and Canadian Juice, numbers, but juiceboxpodcast.com uh, <laughs> A1C calculator right there. That's all. But it, it felt, it felt amazing. And I think your mind becomes addicted to, again, whatever your, whatever your environment is, if you're feeling good, you want to continue to feel good. If you feel bad, unfortunately, you want to continue to feel that way too. Yeah, no, your body's a, a process of chemicals, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Chemical reactions happening all over the place. If you if you take out sugar, just as an example of what you're saying, mm -hmm. your body will stop wanting it at some point. Yep. And Very then you much. give it back and it's just like, it, it just, it lights up every one of those receptors again. You're like, oh my God, sugar, definitely mm -hmm. want more sugar until you completely crash and your system can't keep up with it. And you're, you know, you look up six months later and you're 25 pounds heavier and you feel like you've eaten a big dinner constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's just a drag on you. Your blood sugar is, um, is very much in charge of a lot of how you feel. Yep. Just true. Um, I had a question. Where'd it go? Uh, it's in my brain somewhere. I'm getting older. It's not my fault is what I'm sticking with for now. Damn it. What was I going to say? This is very poignant. Uh, there should be some music that plays here while I'm thinking, but. Jeopardy music. Yeah, but then I'd have to pay to use the music and I can't afford that. <laughs> um, what the hell? Give me a second. I'm going to stop talking for a no, no, second. I'm lost. I'm 100% lost in my own mind. This is terrible. Uh, I'm going to start over instead and then I'll find my way back. Uh, okay. So Dexcom, Omnipod, using the insulin correctly, making better food choices. Mm -hmm. You haven't felt like you're going to slip backwards. No. Therapy. That was mm -hmm. it. Did you mm -hmm. go to therapy? Did. Uh, very thankful for any counseling I've done. And I think in the past I had felt, and this is, this is a conversation that I hope this should be the pinpoint of the episode here too, where everyone needs to speak to someone if they're going through diabetes. And I think it's not, it's not talked about enough where yes. Okay. We're given those tools of, you know, a, a nurse maybe, and you know, you meet with your diabetes education center, you really need to speak to someone about how you feel because I felt that I was a failure. I felt heavy on my self-worth. I felt like I couldn't do anything right when it came to diabetes. And then after speaking to my therapist and sort of discovering, Hey, yeah, wow. Okay. If I'd been diagnosed three months earlier, I would have had all these tools at my disposal, but because of, you know, luck of the draw, unfortunately I didn't, that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It just means I wasn't set up with the right tools. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really want if anyone has a message to take away from this episode, please speak to someone. It, you're not alone. You can speak to support groups. You can speak to a therapist. You can speak to friends, family. Just don't keep how you're feeling to yourself because it, it's it's painful to bottle it up. Are you proud of yourself? Oh, very much. Very much. And I don't think, Scott, if you had told me at 19 what I would be at now, I would think I would think you were crazy. Yeah. Did you think you would be dead? Probably. Did you ever have a conscious thought like I'm just going to ride this wave till I crash into the reef or you weren't even I, thinking about it? Like I that? think I didn't care as much when I was treating my body that way because I thought, I don't know how long this is going to last anyway. So screw it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Were you ever um, misled by the idea of like they're going to cure this so it doesn't matter? 
Oh, completely. I mean, my mom and I go into my endocrinologist's office when I was diagnosed. He says, hey, yeah, five to 10 years, I'll have a cure. And I mean, that was 2009. Right. It's now 2021. So, so as a young person, that kind of makes you feel like, well, I don't have to do a great job of this because they'll just yeah. cure it. Yeah. Not realizing that I think in the history of mankind, we've only cured like nine things and five of them aren't that exciting. Right. So, right. um, it, yeah, the curing something like, like the, and I'm making air quotes. <laughs> no one can see me and I'm making air quotes. So I better find a way to use inflection. Uh, but, uh, curing something's uncommon. And mm -hmm. the, and if you really understood the system at play, like maybe they'll be able to block your immune system and replace your beta cells one day or something mm -hmm. like that. But there's, mm -hmm. you're not going to take a pill and not have diabetes anymore. Right. Um, right. That's not how this is going to work in, in any kind of foreseeable timeline that right. you and I are going to be alive in, you know, right. I'm, I'm not saying I, that the yeah, Bezorkians aren't going to figure it out 5,000 years from now or something like that, but right. we're not figuring it out in 2026 like that. So I think a few folks too, probably, I don't know, I felt this way after leaving the doctor's office, that honeymoon phase is so important thinking, oh, well, you know, they told me I have this, but I don't really, right? Because I mean, my blood sugar is not terrible now that I've started taking insulin a little bit. And then obviously when that honeymoon phase goes away, you know, uh, wham. Crap hit, bam. yeah, exactly. <laughs> wham, you got diabetes. Ooh, here we go. Um, you know, your, your basal goes from three a day to 10 a day. And you're like, what yes. happened? And yes. all of a sudden a, a unit of insulin won't make you low. It won't even make your blood sugar move. Right. And you're 19. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that, it, um, proud's not even the right word, like for how you should feel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like somebody dropped you in the middle of a war again with a, like a pea shooter, and and you're home now, right? You know that's it's really uh it's extraordinary, honestly, Thank isn't you. it? No, appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. no, and um and you're Canadian, so bonus points <laughs> because I mean I don't know, like imagine, listen for people listening, imagine having to ride a moose to your doctor's appointment. It's it's yeah, not a great it's life. It's challenging. <laughs> I usually have to uh, yeah ice skate to uh, to the pharmacy to pick up my insulin. So you're very right. Ice skate on two rocks that you tie to your feet. <laughs> Because, because you live at the Arctic Circle, I think. <laughs> I'm not that far from you. I'm not that far from you. I realize it's very close to me, actually. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think you drive through some fairly hicky uh, United States states to get to Toronto, where Toronto might be a much more of a, a, a metropolitan center than those yeah. places are, right? But it's, it's more fun if we talk about it like this. So yeah. you live in an igloo. and yeah. And even though we don't know what you do for a living, we assume you trap beavers and use their pelts <laughs> to make hats and other warm weather gear so that your people don't die. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. 100%. Yeah. Although I guess we're going to end this in a second. I'm going to find out you're an attorney or something like that. But um, <laughs> uh, any, is there anything else that you want to add that you think that people should know? But I, I think this has been a terrific episode, but I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. No, I, th I think I think I've shared all that I can, and I hope everyone can be vulnerable with anyone that they're speaking with too, in the same way that I have um, that I've been this episode. And I there's power in that vulnerability, and there's power in that resiliency, and there's power in that adversity that we're all dealing with. So, I guess just be open whenever you feel comfortable. It may not be right away, but whenever you feel comfortable, um, feel free to be be vulnerable. Well, I want to thank you for doing that. Um, I was just sharing with my brother last night that um 
he was asking, it's a weird thing to have a podcast like this that's as popular <laughs> as it is because there are people in your life like the like I don't know if it comes to a surprise to anybody, but nobody in my immediate family has ever heard this podcast. <laughs> and um, you know, I was talking to my brother and he was asking about it a little bit, and I was telling him how it was growing, and uh, we were talking about downloads and stuff like that while he and I were on the phone. And I was telling him I think I might add another uh, advertiser soon. Hmm. And he said, what else comes from the show besides like this, this aspect of it? I started telling him about people um, writing to me mm. and, and seeking me out to tell me stories. And listen, a lot of people have blogs and podcasts and you'll hear people say like, I hear from people all the time. And, and sometimes the reality is they get a note every once in a while, which is amazing. I'm not saying that that's not all the time, but I probably hear from 15 people a day. And so it, it, I was explaining to my brother about not feeling like you have to not get overwhelmed by hearing people's stories mm-hmm. and not make yourself numb to them either so that you can, you want to really hear them. Like I right. want to really hear when somebody writes to me or reaches out or whatever. Like I don't want to, I don't want your best moment in the last three years to be a blase like thing to me. I guess. And so I don't feel that way, but you do when it happens so frequently, like you got to catch yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. Somebody's like, Oh my God, my life has changed. You're, Mm -hmm. you don't go great. (laughs) Like, you know, like you're, you can really be in it with them. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I said to him was that personally, that it's been incredibly um, fulfilling to me and not for helping people. uh, I mean, although that it is for that, but I st- I'm starting to feel like a repository of people's stories. Mm-hmm. Like I get to hear every one of them. And it's different to have the, con- even though the people listening, I think are being really served well by this conversation you and I are having. I'm listening to it in a different way because I do not know what you're going to say. And I do not know what question is going to pop in my head when you say it. So right. we're, we're having a really personal like interaction right now, you and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I just feel like the decisions I make around diabetes and life at this point now, I, may I, I'm just going to digress for one more second. When I grew up, I was, um, I'm adopted, right? So mm-hmm. I grew up with a family unit and I did not feel incredibly um, <clears throat> similar to them. Mm-hmm. Like something would happen and they'd have a reaction. My reaction would always be somewhat different, whether mm-hmm. it was like a question about money or politics or in general, like I just, I always was sort of different than them. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I would kind of go out into the world. And when I met people who I found to have like real valuable aspects to them, I'd, I'd think about them. Like I I'm thinking of a man now who I met when he was in his sixties, who was, you know, basically a brick Mason. Um, mm-hmm. I had nothing in common with him, but he was an incredibly hard worker and I thought that's that's his best skill. Like that's his best trait. Like that's mm-hmm. important. Like look how important being a hard worker is. I'll remember mm-hmm. that. Or I met a guy who incorporated his his kind of like comedic feel into bad um, situations. I was already doing that, but I was like, okay, that seems viable. Like so, I would kind of pick and choose from people like their best attributes to pay attention to. Like, is that mm-hmm. something I'd want to do? And now I'm getting to do it with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I record three of these a week. Mm-hmm. So I have hours and hours of conversation every week with people who are different than me, who have different perspectives. And as I'm hearing them, I think I'm remembering the 
kind of the salient points, the stuff that I take away. And I think it's making me a better person. Oh, completely. But you're, I mean, Scott, yes. And good on you that you're able to stay present with everyone sharing their story when they do, but you're also creating that community for us all to feel safe to share. You know, it wasn't until I started listening to your podcast where I thought, oh, hey, you know what? There were some after dark episodes where that kind of resonates with me. You know, hey, yeah, no, there was that there was that girl I listened to that. Yeah, she was actually throwing up as well while she was diabetic. So it's it's the community that you are creating as well that we're all very thankful for and grateful that we get to experience. But, yeah, it sounds like it's a it's a gift both ways. Right. It's a gift to yourself, but it's also a gift to us. I think I might be getting more out of it than you are. And, hmm. and I feel like you just said you were getting a fair amount out of it. So I think we're good, but, um, but I appreciate that. I really do. And it was my, it's funny. That was actually my intention, but now hearing it said back by you, I mm-hmm. think, wow, that was like a fool's errand when I started it. Like what made me think I could accomplish that? Right. It's such a big thing. You know, like I, like I'm sitting here right now, as you say that thinking like, I can't believe it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful it worked. I just. I don't know. I guess, you know, I guess that's everything, right? If you, if you stood at the bottom of Mount Everest and thought, I'm probably not going to make it up there, then you wouldn't right. even, you wouldn't even try. And, right. um, and so some people try and make it and some people don't. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, who knows, I am very grateful that it helps people. Um, and, and that it's been, that it was that for you or for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't mean for this to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, turn into how great I was at the end. Um, I really was just trying to say that, um, I'm, I'm grateful for people like you who come on and share so openly like this, um, because this is not scripted and right. you and I did not talk before we did this. Like no. you sent me like a blurb. I think it was three sentences and <laughs> I sit down and think to myself about to talk to a woman who had an eating disorder and is doing better now. Right. Like that's the only like, and then we had technical difficulties at the beginning. So. <laughs> I'm, now I'm now I'm IT and trying to keep your your yes. life in my mind at the same time. So yes. very cool. Uh, all right, we are going to stop here. First, a huge thanks to Arissa for coming on the show and sharing her story so bravely. I also want to thank Dexcom and remind you to go to dexcom.com forward slash juicebox today, right now. I mean, as soon as you're done with this, just shut it off. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Then roll right over to Omnipod, Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Check in and see if you're eligible for the free 30 day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Don't forget about the Omnipod promise. You can get started today. Just dive right in. I just want to say here how terrific it is that people come on the show and share so freely. Really does make the podcast what it is. If you hold on for a second, I'll let you know about the other After Darks in case you'd like to find them. So as the podcast gets bigger, I realize there are more and more episodes, and it might become difficult to find some of the ones you're looking for. The After Dark series goes all the way back to episode 274, where we talked about drinking. In episode 283, we we spoke about smoking weed. 305, trauma and addiction. 319, it was having sex from a female perspective. 336, depression and self-harm. 365, sex from a male perspective. 372, After Dark, Divorce and Co-Parenting, 384, Bipolar, 393, Bulimia and Depression, 399, Heroin Addiction. In episode 422, we talked to Amy. 
Amy was so singularly special, I just called the episode After Dark, Amy. In episode 450, we spoke about using psychedelics while you have type 1. Episode 462, a sexual assault survivor came on and talked about how that impacted their life with diabetes. There was another episode at 472, Living with Bipolar Disorder, 508, The Adult Child of Divorce. In episode 531, a 30-plus year type 1 named Mike shares his complications with us. And of course, today, this is Arissa, and she's talking about an eating disorder. You can find these episodes in your podcast app by searching Juicebox Podcast After Dark, or you can go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down a little bit, you'll find them there. As you're scrolling, you'll also see the Pro Tip series, the Defining Diabetes series, the Diabetes Variable series, How We Eat. There's a ton there to check out. So, I mean, algorithm pumping, uh, you know, there's a lot there. Head over and take a look, juiceboxpodcast.com.